What's important to note that is a society, as I said earlier, becomes more affluent than the more it'll adopt ideologies that undermine the value of being married, right? The, the notion of I don't need anybody or need anything becomes preeminent. Mm. Okay. And of course, when you adopt that lifestyle, you also are more prone to anxiety, depression, isolation, and a feeling of uh, meaninglessness or insignificance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. Um, I will be your host. In this podcast, the ultimate goal is for you to grow in your faith on this journey of life. We can't do life for you, but we can come alongside you. We mm-hmm. can encourage you. We can challenge you. And we can tell some really bad jokes along the way to keep <laughs> you entertained. So we can't do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're with us today. And we're going to be wrapping up our uh, podcasting on this series. And so we hope that uh, it's inspirational and challenging to help you determine what it is that you believe and that you can grow deeper in your faith. Absolutely. We are in this series titled The Future is Male and Female. We spent the first two weeks focusing on the importance of male in authentic masculinity and the second two weeks focusing on females and the significance of their feminine persona. Yes. This final week, we're going to be talking about the partnership that exists between males and females and mm-hmm. that that's primarily uh, personified in marriage. And so we're going to use that as the focus, but it does apply to all relationships between males and females and how they can better thrive right yeah and Mm -hmm. so on tuesday we dug into the biblical principles on why marriage is important so let's dig into the practical impact on people and societies when marriage is valued versus devalued yeah absolutely let's dig into that but i have a question for you before we start yes sir so uh in our society today just in the egalitarian movement you know and women in the workplace and everything like this and and the de-emphasis of marriage and so many people live single almost 50 percent of the adult population lives single as a single adult, not married. Uh, you don't is, say pastor Doug. Is it possible? <laughs> is it possible for males and females to be close, good friends and just be platonic? Is that possible? Uh, Oh, there's a pause say, there. I would say yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, yeah. All right. Well, the reason I'm asking is... I feel like this is a trap question, so now I'm worried. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think think about it because, you know, the the innate drives uh, deep down within us are, are based on our biology as well as the thirst of our soul. And mm. I'm just curious about how, does it, how do you do that and keep it healthy, you know? Right. And so can it be healthy? Because we're going to talk about some societies, ancient societies and empires, and I think you're going to find out some really interesting things about their connection to marriage. And all societies that valued and encouraged marriage grew strong throughout all history. Mm. societies valued marriage in a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, some did it in ways that we would look and go, wow, that's pretty weird. But, uh, sometimes we'd say that's strange or, Hey boy, that makes a lot of sense. Right. But that doesn't change the underlying fact or premise on which it's built. And that is they valued that relationship, Mm. right? So much in their culture, for instance, in 600 BC, the Israelites were de-emphasizing the importance of marriage. 
So uh, when you read the Old Testament, after Solomon, you see a lot of decay happening in these kings and so forth. And one of the biggest right. issues that came up was this notion of intermarriage. And so a lot of people think, oh, it's an it was an ethnic only thing. And so they had this uh, principle that in the covenant that it was about being pure blood Jewish people. And so now I don't want to say that that wasn't part of it, but the main reason why the covenant was opposed to them doing that was first and foremost, because they always would worship other gods and go in different directions. And so what that would do is that then of course increased, uh, the, uh, separation in families and the moving on and the, in their, in their mind, the delegitimizing of children. And so you had a lot more orphans, a lot more, uh, children without any knowledge to their ancestry or to their heritage. Mm. And so they just get further and further away and in a sense lost. So the Israelites were de-emphasizing the importance of marriage by doing this intermarriage thing and hooking up. It was a stronger hookup culture. Uh, while at the same time, it's interesting as the Babylonians who in many ways were, are the bad guys, but if you go back and you read uh, the, the laws that the Babylonians employed, one of the areas that you can read is their belief in laws around marriage. And the Babylonians were drawing even more restrictive marriage contracts, even among the lower classes of Babylonians. Mm. So as Israel was de-emphasizing marriage and its importance, the Babylonians were emphasizing it through stronger contracts and they were requiring lower and lower and lower classes of people to abide by those laws. And so in uh, 539, I think BC is when the Babylonians came in and conquered all of Israel and then hauled all those people off. And that's where you get the book of Daniel was written in Ezra and Nehemiah. It was during that period. They were all, uh, had been, uh, taken. They were foreigners in a foreign land, so Mm -hmm. to speak. So that's really interesting. In ancient Greece, according to the, it's called the Lysurgus of Sparta. He was considered the great, uh, lawyer, lawgiver in Sparta in ancient Greek. And people know about Sparta in the movie 300 right. and stuff like that. So, uh, it's really interesting. Did you know that in Sparta, it was illegal to not get married by a certain age? Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It was illegal to not get married. And the reason why is because uh, they had a very militaristic approach to a very ordered society. Right. And your job, your duty was to produce offspring. To fuel the militaristic. Yeah. And so they would actually punish you for not getting married if you weren't married by a certain age. In Rome, you go back and you look at Rome, the entire Roman society was built and expanded based on the family. This is the entire point of the census in Luke chapter two, where it says, you know, in the year of Quirinius, he sent out, there was a census to be taken. It was taken every five years Mm -hmm. and every five years when you took a census is when you would claim more ancestor, you know, uh, children or people that had a blood connection back to the original families of Rome. So it was all about the family and the marriage relationship and marrying the right person and making sure that your 
your blood connection, your ancestral connection was to one of the original families of Rome because that dictated your social status. Mm. It dictated who you could do business with, how much business you could do, how wealthy you could become, and so forth and so forth and so forth. So it was a very structured society with that way. And it became what? The largest empire at, at that point that the world had ever known. So that's happened in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And this is really interesting is that Western civilization after the fall of Rome began adopting the value and protection of marriage due to the influence of Christianity. And at the same time, you know, the, that's why it grew so powerful. But at the same time, the Mongolian empire under Attila the Hun made getting married the most important day, most influential day in the life of a man or woman. Mm. That was a really big deal. And so the most important day was your wedding day. And why did they do that? Because they wanted to emphasize the significance of marriage. And we know that what Attila the Hun did in the Mongolian empire, I mean, he conquered massive swaths in the east. The Ottoman Empire, which is kind of in the Mediterranean, it's considered one of uh, the largest uh, empires for that lasted, you know, a thousand years. And it was a near universal, marriage was a near universal institution for all women of child, childbearing age. So if you could, uh, we're in a, a childbearing age, right? And they usually track that by whether you're menstruating or not. Mm -hmm. What they would do is that you were going to be married. Mm. So everybody was married and all of these things were empires. Well, and I think that's really interesting because, you know, I had no idea of the significance of marriage in these empires because usually, you know, I, again, I love movie references and yes. that's where we get most of our history these yes, days. Unfortunately, unfortunately. um, you just see it. They're kind of all these empires are kind of depicted as just kind of depraved and like they just have like all of these concubines and things running around. Yes. And it's just like very, there's no marriage depicted usually. It's usually yes. depicted as just kind of chaos and like they're just bashing people over the heads and hauling yeah. them off and yeah. whatever, right? It's just yes. sort of this idea. But what you're saying is part of the reason or some of the things that happened in these most successful empires that lasted the longest was this institution of marriage yes. was valued and raised up. Yes. And it was respected. And because the greatest resource for any empire, if you think about it, is children. Hmm. It's, it's the ongoing propagation of like, if you're Romans, you want more Roman citizens that are committed to Rome. Right. Uh, even today we want Americans that are good citizens. Mm -hmm. And the biggest debate right now is, well, what is a good citizen and how do you turn people into good citizens? Empires grow and get strong when they have a strong economy. And you look back, you look at the fall of Rome, you look at the fall of, uh, like the Mongolian empire, you look at the fall of a lot of these different, you know, ancient Greece and then even Rome, uh, I just mentioned Rome, is that one of the biggest reasons that they kind of fell apart and collapsed was they, uh, the economy weakened. And that was a problem. Like, and like when Rome collapsed, I, I don't think people real think, you know, people think in terms like, well, when Rome collapsed, it just turned into a dystopian nightmare. And, you know, it looked like Mad Max, you know, right. just this way. No, what happened is uh, it fractured. And then you had, you know, this Spanish type 
uh, arena, kind of Spanish-French area. And then mm-hmm. you had uh, the Byzantine Empire, which fractured off. And then you had this Gaul Empire. Uh, um, and so you, you had these different empires that were smaller. And so it just fractured. It wasn't as unified. Right. And, and it was no longer any centralized government. They all become their own governments their own ways. And the point is, is that the greatest influence is a strong economy on an expanding empire and the strength of an empire. And that's true for anybody. It's true for China. It's true for America, even to day. Well, what is the number one resource in growing a strong economy? Well, it's children. And so that this is why the value of marriage in these societies and the value of marriage in America today is so critically important. Mm. Did you know that 5% you, uh, that children uh, have only a 5% chance of living in poverty if their biological parents are married. Mm. So let's, in every other situation, it's 50% or higher, their chance of growing up in poverty. If your biological parents are married, your chances of growing up in poverty are, 50, are drastically, 5%. Drastically reduced. Yeah. Uh, if you grow up and your biological parents are married and you're in this family, not living together, but actually married, you, you're going to do better in school. You have a higher IQ. Your health is better. You're stronger emotionally. Uh, you're a better citizen. I mean, every well-being index out there shows that children do best when they grow up in a household where their biological parents are married. So, I mean, if children are one of the most important influences or influencers, I mm-hmm. mean, let's, let's say um, more active, on economic growth and economic growth is what makes a country strong, mm-hmm. which is, is what you've said, then children growing up with their biological parents and being married is great for society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. That, those, that, that chain of logic makes sense. So the moral of the story is to get married and stay married for the kids. <laughs> no matter what, no matter what. <laughs> well, actually, that's the only way to make the country strong. Yeah. But so people are thinking, oh, well, let's, you know, I guess we ought to do it for the kids. I'm going to, it's going to be horrible Think for me. Think of the children, yeah, Pastor let's Doug. do it for the children. Well, actually, if you're a woman, getting married and staying married is the best deal ever for you. The value of being married uh, as a woman is over the top good. Uh, what's interesting, though, let me say this, is that due to the affluence of our culture, it's possible for a woman to live single, live well, than in any other time in human history. More possible than it's any more possible point. than any other time in human history. However, this is because the emphasis on marriage built such a powerful economy to produce the affluence. We're coasting on our previous. We're coasting. Yeah, we are resting on our laurels, so okay. to speak. And yet, even with that, your capacity to live alone and your capacity to live well alone as a woman is uh, it's still in your best interest to get married and stay married. Married women are happier. Married women are wealthier. Married women are more emotionally stable. They're safer. And the the list goes on and on and on of what's really great for women in marriage. But what I find so fascinating is that when you read about it, you wouldn't get that impression because uh, our, our the mainstream media and academics de-emphasize this. And you know how they de-emphasize it is, first of all, they don't point out how good marriage is for women Mm -hmm. uh, in all these social indicators. But the second thing they do is what they try to downplay it by saying marriage benefits more men more than women. 
And since it benefits men more than women, you get the impression that, well, then it's not good for me as a woman because it benefits men more. So why would I enter into a deal where the guy gets a better deal than me? But in reality, that is not how statistics work because simply because men have a higher benefit of being married doesn't mean any of the benefits disappear for you being married. So it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, this it goes is a, back to that idea of the power struggle again. Yeah. Just because someone's benefiting, that means I must be losing. I'm, I'm oppressed, you know. So you go out there and uh, you're out there and you, this person says, hey, you can have this mansion on the sea, right? Mm-hmm. A 5,000 square foot. Now, how, how much, you know, you're like, I don't need 5,000 square foot. But you have this mansion on the beach, you know. And then the person next to you gets a mansion that's 1,000 feet bigger than you. Right. And so it's like, well, I'm oppressed because I'm not in the biggest mansion. Well, that's kind of ridiculous. You know, you're in a mansion on the beach and in a way that's what marriage is like is, uh, it benefits different people differently. And then if the question isn't, how does it benefit children? How does it benefit grandparents? How does it benefit society? I mean, if you really want to be selfish about it, say, or self-centered say, how does it benefit me? And marriage for you ladies benefits you a lot. Throughout history, marriage has been the greatest benefit for all women. So the current stupidity of academics in the attempt to say marriage is historically bad for women because uh, they what they do is they go, well, when you look at these ancient laws, married women were considered property. Well, this is an intentional attempt to paint a false picture. Because what happened is in law, what they would do is they say, how do we raise the value of women? And so this was a very common thing. And that is that, you know, women in society were physically weaker than men. They're physically weaker than men. So if women were considered standing all on their own, right? And you know, the old thing, uh, like look at the wild west. How did men settle their differences? They went out into the street and they did what? Shot each other. They shot each other, right? <laughs> you know, or they got in a fist fight and whoever won, well, that's when, uh, for the longest time, the whole notion that the way God judged justice is, is guys would battle it out. And the person who won is, well, that's, that's how we know that this person is Right. Right. There was yeah. a, a recent movie. I think it had Matt Damon in it. It was like the last duel. And it was the last time that, that uh, a Lord actually appealed to the judgment of God in battle. Mm. So this was, this was a very common thing in, in centuries past. And so what happens is this, is, is if you, let's say you were married to a woman, right? Or you were with a woman and another guy goes and he abuses that woman or, or does, you know, commits an assault on her or whatever may be the case. Well, in that, that person could just claim, say, well, this is a free person and we did battle and I won and that's God's judgment that it's right. Mm. And so, okay, is that raising the value of women or does it make women vulnerable? Right. And same thing for kids because kids were called property as well. Well, people can just come through and take your kids and steal them and then sell them in slavery. That's what people would try to do. But you had a legal claim. You could say, look, this is my child. So what you're doing is you are violating my rights as the paterfamilias of the family. Mm -hmm. And in this way, by saying in law that women were property, now, is it the best way to do it? No. But it was the best way to do it at the time. Exactly. To raise the value of woman. And that is, is that you can't touch that woman, right? 
without answering to that man. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he has legal recourse against you that you've committed a crime. So now this comes out of the basic human morality, which I believe is placed in us. It says this in the uh, uh, book of Ecclesiastes that in, in our heart, you know, men know right from wrong. And so it tried to reflect that. So it's like the castle doctrine, you know, it's similar to that, I guess is a good, What's the castle doctrine? Well, the castle doctrine is, is that Jesse, when you buy a house, it's your castle. Okay. All right. So you have all the rights and privileges of, a, of, a king in his castle has all these rights and privileges. And in your little house, you have the same rights and privileges as the king because okay. you own that castle. Now, is your house a castle? I do not have a moat around my castle. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't have the, it doesn't look like a castle. No. No. But it's called the castle doctrine. Well, okay. So it's a legal way to say you have all the same rights and privileges that a king did in his castle. Right. right? So that, that's kind of how this works. So the value of marriage for women throughout all of history, when you look at it and specifically what it says, you see that it is overwhelmingly beneficial for women. Um, they were healthier. They grew up in, in great wealth. Uh, they were happier. And so throughout all history, and we look back at these ancient societies, the issue of marriage is it's really good for females. So we've looked at marriage in multiple ways. We've said, you know, it's good for economies. It's good for nations, good for children. It's good for women. Is it good for men? Yeah. I guess is, is, that's the one thing we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, I do. I, I really believe this. And this is something that I think is really important today because right now, I don't think people really understand how loud and big the movement is out there by males to convince other males not to get married. You know, mm. there's, uh, there's guys on the internet, you know, and guys who are podcasting with millions of subscribers who are talking about getting married is the worst deal you'll ever make as a man. Don't mm. get married, you know, and their basic premise is this, and that is you're going to get married and the law is stacked against you in America, which it is. And so you can marry this person then you can go out and you can uh, generate a lot of wealth. You can have children. And then this person in the blink of an eye, for whatever reason, no, there doesn't have to be any fault given can take half your stuff and your kids and you'll never see them. Mm -hmm. And so that's their position. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's their position. And guess who's listening to this? A vast majority of men 30 years and under. They listen to this all the time. And so what's happening, and one of the reasons that motivated me to want to do this study is because the air, the ethos, the vibe in our society is don't get married, don't get married, don't get married, right. especially to young men. And you see this because now the average age of marriage is when people get married is at the highest point it's ever been since we've been taking recording statistics. So that's been, you know, almost a thousand years. Wow. Yeah. It's been a long time that they've been tracking, you know, usually it was tracked in a church, you know, you go get married, they'd write down your name and when you were born and all that kind of stuff. So what, but so is this really a good movement for men to avoid marriage and stay away from marriage? Well, guess what? It's not. When it comes right down to it, when a man gets married and thinks about getting married, guess what? He is creating a context, a reality. If you're a physicist, a tesseract, uh, in other words, a structure where you are able to exercise your, the greatest aspect of your masculinity, your authentic masculinity. 
Marriage gives you the opportunity to take responsibility for your own life and then enhance those innate masculine drives that reflect the image of God. For instance, it gives you the opportunity to exercise protection that you can say, well, I, I'm going to protect this woman. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my family. And that is when you accept responsibility to protect others, particularly a woman and to respect her and to love her and honor her, guess what? That's really good for you. And it's like we read on Tuesday that when you love your wife, you're actually loving yourself. yourself. And this is why, because you're giving an opportunity for that masculine drive for protection to be uh, expressed. It gives you uh, the opportunity to be a provider. You know, one of the most important things for guys is that they have to find purpose and work. Mm. And here's the deal. Very few guys are wired in a way where making more money is the only uh, driving force, driving force. The only purpose they need is to make more money. You know, they're very competitive, they're type A's and they keep score. And all they want to do is keep score. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you look at uh, an illustration out there from Michael Jordan's life. And that is Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest basketball player ever. And so that wasn't enough for him. So while he's winning NBA championships, he's also also on the golf course trying to become a professional golfer and every hole he's betting other guys, you know? And so they said, if you ever play, Michael Jordan, you better bring your checkbook because, you know, I mean, every hole, every swing, every, every putt is bet. He bets on it. Mm. Right. And he, so some guys are wired that way. Well, other guys aren't, they have to have a, a purpose for their work. And it's you, that's what a woman does. And children does. It says, I now have purpose. This is why I'm doing, I'm providing for these people. And that's an expression of your masculinity. And here's, here's the interesting thing is that so many people are bothered by the younger generation of males, right? Who won't go out and get jobs, who won't engage, who won't initiate in the workforce. They're happy doing almost nothing. Well, why are they this way? Because they can't find any purpose in their work. Mm. Well, why can't they find purpose in the work? Because this generation is the most single generation in the history of America. You see, so the connection is not just a correlation, it's causal. They mm. are intimately linked. When a young man says, I'm going to get married, he's taking on responsibilities for himself, for others, and that gives this, this a context and for him to express his true authentic masculinity. And that's why parents now look and when their sons are at that, you know, in their mid twenties and their sons, you know, are, could be successful doing stuff, but they seem aimless and they're not happy with them. And then they meet the right woman and suddenly they, their maturity level goes through the roof. Why? Because they're becoming truly authentically masculine. What that does is it creates momentum in their personal life, their personal influence. They start to initiate more, not just in providing and protecting their wife and then children, but in work, they become better at work. They become mm. better uh, friends. They become better in all these ways. And here's the end result. Marriage is good for guys because it makes you healthier. It makes you stronger emotionally. It, it, the statistics say you will be less violent. You'll be less prone to massive mood swings. You're less depressed. You have less anxiety. You're less likely to commit crimes. You have more sex. You'll be going to be happier, more satisfied, more, 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 more across the board. Marriage is really good for men.
So it seems the evidence for the value and benefit of marriage is pretty great all yeah, across the board across for the board. everything and everyone, Go right? Go get married. So why are so many people devaluing and avoiding marriage if it's so good? And <laughs> yeah. you, if why? it's so good, why? Why, Doug? Why? why? Well, it's important to note that as a society, as I said earlier, becomes more affluent than the more it adopt ideologies that undermine the value of being married right? The, the notion of, I don't need anybody or need anything becomes preeminent. Mm. Okay. And of course, when you adopt that lifestyle, you also are more prone to anxiety, depression, isolation, and a feeling of, uh, meaninglessness or insignificance. So, uh, the main ideologies I think that are being propagated in our society that contribute to this, uh, always undermine the value of marriage. First of all, there's feminism. I mean, I've read quotes over and over again through this series about how feminists, the leading feminists in the United States today hate marriage. All right. They think it is an oppressive institution to women when it's not. Uh, another one that's very popular is Marxism. And this is from the, uh, social critical social theory from the Frankfurt school. Uh, I talked a little bit about Marcuse and Reich and some of these philosophers who had an extremely dim view of marriage. You look at Freud, you look at a lot of these early atheists like Bertrand Russell and so forth. And they were all Aldous Huxley. They all had a very dim view of marriage. Critical race theory has an extremely dim view of marriage in, in the, Communist Manifesto written by Karl Marx, their primary goal was to do what? E destroy the nuclear family because they saw it as an oppressive state for achieving their goal. Uh, initially, when the Black Lives Matter movement came out on their website, they said our goal and our plan is to remove or destroy the nuclear family. Mm. So uh, you on top of that, another huge ideology is socialism and communism. The primary goal of socialism is to remove any and all class distinctions and marriage and family is a class distinction. And so this was Reich's uh, philosophy. He even wrote a book called The Sexual Revolution in uh, the 50s. And it really influenced the entire sexual revolution of the 60s, which was all about destroying this, this uh, establishment uh, uh, institution that wants to destroy uh, our capacity to create a utopia. We got to get rid of it. So all of these ideologies, feminism, Marxism, critical race theory, socialism, communism are ideologies that ultimately result in the collapse of a society. And the primary cause of every civilizational collapse is economic. And the economic collapse always occurs when the society no longer values marriage. Well, I think we are out of time today, Pastor Doug, but I just got to say that this is, um, I think been one of the, my favorite studies we've done so far, because I think it's just given all of us, uh, a better perspective on our, on the other half. Um, you know, we're 50, 50 in this world, you know? <laughs> so the idea that we, one can live without the other is a, is a pretty, you know, yeah. dumb idea honestly yes. at this yes. point but um you've shed some reasons on why it's so important that we understand each other how we can go forth biblically and be better mm -hmm. um 
be more male, be more female as God intended us to be, not in the way that the world wants us to be. And then and build obvious, a stronger partnership. And, yeah, and we building really a stronger need partnership. Each other. We, we need, need each, each other. other. It's male and female. It's not one or the other. It's about us coming together so that mm-hmm. we can have all these benefits that you've just laid out. You've given so many benefits. And, you know, we talked about marriage specifically, but a lot of these things can apply yes. to um, other relationships in our lives. So I think it's so important and I just really appreciate you spending time juggling this topic. <laughs> I know it's one that you, uh, could have easily said, no, I think I'm going to get too much blowback on this. There's too much of a hot topic. So it's I appreciate you stepping forward. Issue. So yes. we thank you for that. Um, you're going to obviously wrap this up on Sunday with yes. your sermon. And then next week, we're starting our brand new series yes. that I'm so excited about because what do I reference more than anything, Pastor Doug? Movies. Movies. So we are doing a series titled At the Movies, talking about can we find faith in film and how film affects us and some of the greatest stories put to film and their correlations to things yeah. that we can learn Not from real life. them. Yeah, so absolutely. we are so excited to be doing that new series. It's going to be great. Um, and we hope you tune in for that as well. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll talk to you next week here on the Salty Pastor. Blessings. Blessings.